Praise the Lord. Well, I'll be careful. That'll be another message. Let's open your Bibles with me to 1 John chapter 3. We've, we've, we've come to the end, at least, of this part of the series on Follow Me. We've not come to the end of following Him. I really believe that will be a theme for next year. It's the foundation for we're going to have a year of following Him together next year. And I believe that when we come to the end of next year, that we will not recognize ourselves as a church. You will not recognize your... Talk over here. Maybe it works better over here. You will not recognize yourself uh, and who you are. I, I began this over a year ago, and I look at the end, it, it, where I am in my walk with Him this year, and it is, it is miles ahead of where I've ever been before and where I was last year because I've committed the things I'm teaching you. I've committed to do them. I'm not doing them perfectly, but I've committed to do them. And as we do that as a church, and we just do what I've been saying, if we follow Him, He'll get us where we need to go. And the whole, the whole skill we need to learn is to not be distracted by all the things that come at us to distract us. But, but what we want to begin to look at today, this is the Christmas season, and I want to begin to look at, Jesus has told us to come and follow Him. And we want to begin, we began this a little bit last week, but I want to begin to look tonight, today and next Sunday, and then uh, Christmas Eve will kind of finish this off, um, at who it is that's called us to follow Him. Who this, who it is, and, and, and we're going to talk about, well, I'll read the Scripture to you, but let's pray. Father, I, as I talk to you about this this morning, what I believe that you put in my heart and is in this Word to share with us, to speak to us, Every one of us in this building today, if we've been here for longer than several weeks, we know these things. But it's not information that you want to communicate to us. You want to make these words a reality in our hearts and in our lives. And I can't do that in my ability that you've given to me. That can only be done by the Spirit of the living God in His anointing upon this Word and His anointing upon my words as you bring them forth. And so, Father, I'm calling upon you, we are calling upon you to speak to us, and may we have eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to really be open to hear what it is you want to say to us this morning. And for that, we give you thanks in advance, in Jesus' name, amen. When Rob Grinley was here several weeks ago, he mentioned about filters that we have, and that really struck me because I realized how easily we have filters in our mind, attitudes that, that filter out how much of the Word gets in. God is speaking to us all the time. But we only hear parts of it, and sometimes we're not hearing anything. And it's often because of filters. You will not, your mind will not accept something it doesn't want to hear. If you have children, you understand that. It's time to go to bed, and they don't hear that at all. But if you mention ice cream, those same ears suddenly got cleaned out of wax, and they're, they're right there, ready to go. And so, but we're like that. We're not that much different when it comes to following Him. We only hear things that we want to hear. And so my prayer is that God would open our eyes of our understanding to help us to hear things that He knows we need to hear. So to say that, we're going to look at, start, let's go to 1 John chapter 3. These are things you've heard before, but my prayer is that I just said that, that we would hear this. This would become a greater reality to us. 1 John chapter 3, behold, that word is interesting, it just means look, wake up, take a gaze at, look at it, behold, we don't 
use that term so much nowadays, but, but look at this! You found something, you just, you know, you're so excited. Come, see this! That's what this behold means. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it does not know Him. Beloved, now... Uh, well, this, there are a whole bunch of messages in this. Now, not when we get to heaven, now, today, December 15th, 2019, if you are in Christ, you are, now, you are, a, we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know this, that when He is revealed, that's when Christ comes back, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. That doesn't mean that we're going to be changed when He shows up. That means when we see Him, we're going to look at Him, and we're going to look at us and say, Woo! <laughs> I said you're one-third God. You're going to begin to see Him, and you'll see Him in you, and that we're one with you. This is exciting. So, alright, but I want to look at the beginning of this. Go back to verse 1. There's so much in here we could talk about. But it's those first few words. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. That term, what manner, the Greek word means from what foreign country. And I began to meditate on that. From what foreign, what kind of love from what other country has been bestowed upon us. Now think about what it means to be from another country, but more of that, to be deposited in a foreign country. We just, this year we went to England, that wasn't quite so foreign because they speak sort of the same language. But we just came in October, we were in Mexico for for our son's wedding and we've been down there a number of times on the mission field. And we've been down there to the Rackley's wonderful mission in the southern part of Mexico where they minister to children, but we went down there to minister to pastors. And, and it was, it's an interesting experience if you've never been in a foreign country um, to go somewhere where the, you don't speak their language and they don't speak your language. So you have trouble understanding what they're talking about, where there are different customs. I was instructed by the interpreter not to use certain expressions that I might normally use here. They weren't bad ones, but they mean something different over there. And, and, and they have different customs, ways of approaching things, that you can very easily offend somebody. I was uh, the physical therapist that was hel- helping me recover from that broken wrist. And is, uh, uh, he was, we were, at one point when we went to England, we were looking to maybe go over to, to Paris. And he was all excited because he loves French. France, he's lived there for a while, he's very fluent. And he says, he says but I want to tell you something. If you go into a French restaurant, when you see the, the owner or the maitre d', make sure you look them in the eye, and you greet them and you say bonjour or bonsoir. He says, because they get offended if you don't do that. Well, I mean, we're Americans, you know. Show me where the table is, because I came in here to eat. <laughs> All right, now if I didn't, if, if I weren't in, didn't know that, if you go into a country and they have a custom like that and you don't know that, you'll very easily offend people and you won't know why. And we don't want to offend people. So the point is that I, we've been in a foreign country, several foreign countries, and, and there's different ways of doing things. In England, they have this quaint custom. They drive on the wrong side of the road. 
And I had decided early on, I'm not driving this time over. Maybe next time, but I'm not risking this to drive on the wrong side of the road. But I discovered very early on that has an effect on you whether you're driving or not because we have a custom here that when you step over a curve to go across the street, you look to the right to make sure there's not a car coming. You do that in London and you may go whack from the left because they're not coming from the right. They're so the, in the areas where the Americans tend to go stay, they have it written on the side of the curb, look to the left. Because they're dummies that come from America over there that don't understand you're in a foreign country and there are different ways and manners of speaking in that country that you're not accustomed to. And as I began to meditate on that, God's love for us, this kind of love that John's talking about, from our perspective, comes from a foreign country. It comes from a realm of existence that is foreign to us unless we see, have insights into it. And it's the realm where God lo- lives and where God loves. So the love that God has for us the love that God has displayed towards us that we celebrate at this time of year. It's not about, you know, the decorations and all that other stuff. What, what's in it, what's, what's, it compels people, what draws people this time of year to be giving is because God gave. And that gift has such a powerful ripple effect that inspires others to give. But today and tomorrow and next Sunday, we're, and then even Christmas Eve, we're going to talk about this gift and what it tells us about God and His love for us. So the first thing we see is it's a foreign type of love. Now if it's foreign, that means you cannot look at the things of this world to tell you anything about it. In, in, uh, in, in Numbers 23, God is trying to teach us something about Himself and it starts by saying in verse 19, God is not a man that He should lie nor the Son of Man that he should change his mind, has he not said it, and shall he not, been it, shall he not bring it to pass? And the problem is we try to understand God in terms of the only terms we know, which is other people. So we know by experience you cannot always trust what a man, and by that I mean a woman or anybody, says to us. So we have to check out what they say to find out whether we can trust them. And so what God is saying there is, I'm not one of them. I'm not one of you. I'm not a man. So you can't decide whether you can trust me by using the same standards you use for everybody else because I ain't one of them. I'm not a man. Well, that same principle applies in terms of understanding the love that God has for us. Because all of us in this room have some experience with love. It may be a wonderful experience. You may have been raised in a very wonderful, loving family. Or you may have been raised with a family that was full of hate. Or you may have been just abandoned, uh, whatever it is. We all have some concept of love that we live with and we apply to other people and to receiving love from other people. But in most cases, that standard comes from our experiences in this country, in this realm. And what John is trying to say to us here, what John is saying to us, is the love that God has for us is not of this world. So you cannot use the customs of this world. You cannot use the language of this world. You cannot use the, 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 the principles of this world to understand what this kind of love is like. 
because it's foreign to this world. In fact, in, in, um, in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes that if the rulers of this world had understood what God was doing in sending Christ here, they never would have crucified the Lord. Satan couldn't understand what God was doing. By sending his son to the earth, he thought he had trapped him and didn't realize he was being trapped because what God was operating in was a manner of love Satan couldn't begin to understand. Behold. Look at it. That's what we're going to do today. We're going to behold it. We're going to spend this time looking at what, what, you can almost hear the astonishment in John's voice. What manner of love is this? See, we take it for granted. Well, we're children of God. That's what I mean. That's what I meant in the beginning. We know these facts. But how much have they impacted you? How much of God's love for you has really gotten into your heart? Because when it really gets into your heart, it changes you. You don't have to be told to go love other people. You can't help it. It's what happened on the day of Pentecost. They got filled with God and they got filled with God's love. Romans 5, 5 says, says, that, says that the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Been poured out in it. This manner of love has, for you has been poured out in your heart. Yes, it's the love we're to give away. But most of us don't give it away because we haven't received it yet. We know it here. So as long as we understand, we don't know it yet. Then we'll be open to receive it. Behold what manner of love. In this country where God lives, in this, which, and by that I mean His domain where this love is. That love has a different language than the love of this world. It has a different focus, different customs. And this is the love that God has shown for us. So with that as a background, let's go to the most famous verse in the Bible, John chapter 3, verse 16. I was talking with Charles Picard the other day about, I did this on a Christmas Eve message years ago, but this is a little different. It doesn't hurt us to hear it again. Verse 16, a simple verse. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. We're going to go through this one word at a time. So we're going to meditate on this verse together. So we're going to start with for means is, is a transition word. For God. See, we read these too quickly. And when we read them too quickly, they become facts to us. Theology. I know. Yeah, okay. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Whoever believes in Him should not perish. Blah, 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 blah. All right. Well, let's go through this slowly for God because this is the one that he says loves us this way so let's talk a little bit about who this God is and this when you begin to grasp who this God is you begin to see how remarkable this love is then you see who we are so when you see who this God is and we see who we are you begin to see how remarkable this love is And we could spend weeks studying who this God is. And so it's requiring some measure of discipline on my part 
to focus this in. But just to give you a taste. This is the one who's given us this love. First of all, He is the creator of all things. One of the parts of my time of devotion every morning, almost every morning, is when I begin to address God, my Father, I begin to talk to Him and says, I thank you because I acknowledge that this life that's in me, that's so precious to me, that I'm trying to hold on so desperately, you created. I didn't create this life. I can't create life. Yes, we have four children, and I did, we did what... I won't go into details about that. But the life came from God. I can't produce life. And our scientists may think they are, but where are they getting it from? They're just messing around with raw materials, but the life itself can only come from life Himself. So He's the Creator of all things. Hebrews 11, verse 3. By faith, and you, this is why science can't understand this, because it's only by faith you can understand this. By faith we understand that the worlds, that's the entire, that's the entire natural u- universe, that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. It doesn't have it in there, but it's in 24 hours. So that the things which are seen, the things where we, our five senses can detect, were not made of things that are visible. So this Creator created this whole realm of existence by His words. Not out, He didn't send the angels to Home Depot and to, to Lowe's with a list of supplies they need. He made what we would call something out of what we would call nothing. Now it wasn't out of nothing, but for what you can see it was out of nothing. This is the God who's shown this love towards us. So if He can create all things, He can do anything. Nobody makes God do anything God doesn't want to do. So stop trying to manipulate Him. Let's go back to John 3.16. We're going to keep going back and forth. So what else about this God? He's the creator of all things. By the way, Hebrews 1 verse 3, which they won't put up there, says, He's upholding all things by the word of His power. This universe is held together, is held together. And the science will tell us how expanding at a phenomenal rate. That's all the result of God saying, let there be. They can trace everything back to that Big Bang. I can tell you what the Big Bang was. Let there be. (laughs) That's the power of His words. Energy came from His words, let there be. Imagine being a being that has unlimited power. All-powerful. And the one that's all-powerful, this gets a little scary, is all-knowing. Now think of what that means. He never learns anything. He never gets up someday, which I don't think he gets up anyway, but I mean, let's, you know, he never wow, that was a good idea. That means he's not amazed at the great insights you have. Woo! I never thought of that before. God doesn't have opinions. Because an opinion is an educated guess, if it's a good opinion. Which means to have an opinion you don't know. When you know everything that's not an opinion, you're right. 
I'll just simplify every argument you ever have with God. He's right. He's always right. So get over it. The sooner we adjust to Him being right, then we'll be right. Just trying to expand your mind a little bit. He's all-knowing. He understands ev- oh, this is, He understands everything all at once. My mind doesn't do that at all. I go from one thought to another thought to another thought, and hopefully they fit together. But he understands everything all at once. He's omnipresent. That means he's everywhere all at once. Satan's not everywhere all at once. He can only be in one place at one time. God's not limited by time. God, we'll talk about that in a minute. He's everywhere. He's absolutely, he's unlimited. That's how our, see, these are things our mind has trouble grasping because everything our mind knows has, has limits. There's limited power that we have. We have limited knowledge. We have all, but God's not one of us. C.S. Lewis, one of the great apologetics, um, he wrote an example in one of his efforts to understand the limitlessness of God. He said, imagine you had a piece of paper, and this is hard to do, but just try, that, is, that is, goes out infinitely in every direction. Just, there's no limit to it. And then you discover that there is on that unlimited piece of paper a pencil line of one inch. That represents time out of eternity. And you put the pencil on the beginning of the line, that's the beginning of time, and you draw that one inch out of all this infinity to the end of the inch, and that's the end of time. God's perspective is He sees everything all at once. And that's so hard because we live in time. But God doesn't live in time. He lives outside of time. He can work in time, but He's working in time from being out of time. Which means when you come to Christ, he, he's, he's not looking at Jesus dying for you 2,000 years ago. He sees Jesus on that cross now. What would be now for us? I'm, I'm getting the cobwebs out of your brain. Jesus, God, Father, God sees everything all at once. Which means when you received Christ. He saw everything you ever did or ever will do all at once. So you didn't fool Him. So when you blew it yesterday, you didn't take Him by surprise. Oh, if I'd only known that, I never would have received them. No, He knows it all. He knows everything about you. Not just the hairs on your head, which for some of us is easier than it used to be. He knows every thought you have. He knows thoughts you have you don't know you have. Think about it. He knows thoughts you have. Aren't you glad He loves you? <laughs> he knows your innermost motives. When we think we're doing something for a good motive and then eventually shows you that was purely selfish because you wanted to make sure you felt good about yourself for giving them that gift. And it looked good, it sounded good, you felt good until I showed my light on it and your motive really was you. (laughs) You've asked me, what happened to you in London? God opened my eyes 
to see how selfish I am towards him. He says, you do what you do for me because you're concerned with how you're going to look to me. You don't do what you do for me out of pure love for me. And it broke my heart. It changed me. But it took the Spirit of God to open up the inner confines of my heart and when God did that His grace flooded into me at a level I've never experienced before but I would never come to that place on my own because I want to look good to myself and I want to look good to God but He has the ability to look so far down deep in your heart because He wants to do that to set you free and love you not to condemn you and judge you this is the one that loves us this way He is the ultimate authority. All authority, the Bible says, comes from Him. I love it when Jesus stands before Pilate. And Pilate says, Man, don't you understand? I have the power to kill you to death or the power to give you life. And the only time Jesus opened His mouth was to defend His Father. He said, You don't have any authority my Father hasn't given you. All authority comes from Him. That doesn't mean everybody in authority God put there. But the authority comes from Him. He is sovereign. And that's a very misunderstood doctrine. People think that sovereign means that whatever happens was God's will. That's not what sovereign means. Sovereign means nobody tells Him what to do. He is the ultimate authority. So whatever He does for you, it's because He wanted to. You didn't make Him and nobody else made Him. When that reality began to hit me, it changed how I saw him. Because I used to think, and this is our fallen nature still working in, in our minds, this is our flesh still working, that somehow I've got to get God to do something. You can't get God to do anything he doesn't want to do. In fact, we'll see, I'm getting ahead of myself, but he has to initiate it. We don't even know he exists unless he initiates it. Man doesn't know he exists. We're so blind. We're so dull in our thinking. We're so self-centered. We have no... Well, there's a concept of God out there. But the real living God, we don't even know He's real or exists unless He reveals Himself to us. This is the God that loves you. He's complete in Himself. He doesn't need anybody. He didn't save you and call you because He's in desperate need for you. He saved you and called you because He wanted you. He's, self, he, he's, he's complete in Himself. He doesn't need anybody. He doesn't need anything. Everything comes from Him. Why would He need anything? By the way, this is all in the notes. You can download it. He's completing himself. He's, he, is, he is self-existent. When Moses said to... This is in Exodus 3. When Moses said to him, and he said, I want you to go back and tell the people that I'm setting you free. Moses says to, to God, he says, well, well they're gonna, the elders are going to be, who, who sent you? And this was the answer. Do you have it to put up there? And God said to Moses, here, I am. I am who I am. That's what you shall say to the children of Israel. Israel I am has sent you. I am what? Well, whatever the what is limits who he is. He just am. He is self-existent. He owes his existence to nobody. Every existence that exists comes from him. He's the source of all existence. He is self-existent. 
This is the God who loves you. I've got to move on. And this is where I wanted to get to. He is, and absolutes are hard for us to grasp. He is absolutely holy. He is absolute holiness. The Bible sometimes talks to this in terms of a fire, and it's not a fire like a blowtorch, it's a fire like fiery truth. He is pure. He is holy. And here's the problem our minds cannot grasp holiness. Holiness is perfect purity. Everything we know has some balance of it. We have no, we can't understand absolute love. I'll give you a good example of it. Absolute, there is a thing called absolute cold. And it's some 600 and some degrees below zero. And that is a place where there is no heat at all present. So when you walk out Monday morning and it's 25 degrees outside and you feel cold, there's still heat out there. Science will tell us. In fact, they have this thing called a heat pump, which takes the heat out of whatever the air is outside, out there. So temperature to us is relative. So in this room right now, some of you are hot, some of you are cold, and the physical temperature is exactly the same because you're comparing it to how you, your body feels. But 600 and some degrees below zero is absolute cold. There's no heat in it. And you and I can't begin to imagine that. Well, now transfer that concept over to holiness. Because the most purest thing you know still has impurities. The most purest person you know still has some motives that are not entirely pure. But God is absolutely, absolutely pure. So the only way the Bible helps us to do this is by contact with some people that have experienced that holiness. And we're going to look quickly at two of them. At two of them. Isaiah 6. Isaiah is a prophet that was a good man. I mean, if you, had, if you look at Isaiah's background, he was highly educated. He was raised in, in, the, in, the, in the king's court. He was, a, he was a good, what we would call a holy man by comparing him to all the rest of us. But what we see in chapter 6 is at some point in his life he is, goes into a vision. Now whether it's a physical vision or a spiritual vision, he doesn't say. But we're going to read this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Stay there a second. Train, for those of you, isn't it a choo-choo train? Have you ever seen a wedding where the bride has this long train that follows us? Well, a king used to wear a kingly robe that would have a long train behind it, and he would have uh, people that would, servants that would carry that robe, that, the, the tail of that robe for him. I don't know whether it's a physical robe or not, but his presence, his robe, fills the temple. All right, verse 2. Above it, and you just got to let your imagination run, stood seraphim, that's one kind of angel, which had six wings. Now understand this, Isaiah's trying to take what he saw, which is way beyond human concepts, and communicate them with words out of his vocabulary. So he's going to use terms, the only terms he can find in his mind, to, that somewhere represents what I saw in here. Because when you see something in the Spirit, oftentimes human words can't grasp it. And when you... Tr- every, you've had a dream? Anybody ever had a dream? 
Hopefully you're not dreaming now. Okay. All right. And, and sometimes they're so vivid. They're so real that your body's reacting to your heart's pumping. You may be perspiring. You know, your pillow may be torn to shreds. And you, you come out of it and you try to explain it to somebody. And the moment you do, it just kind of evaporates. Why? Because it was in here. It was in your imagination. And it was not in words, begin to, to put it into words as such a narrow way of understanding things. So understand that as he does this. He says, Above him stood seraphim, each one having six wings. With two he covers his face, with two he covers his feet, with two he flew. Keep going. And one cried to another. They're doing this 24 hours. Now I don't know if there's time in heaven, but they're doing this constantly, all the time. They're not getting tired of this. Why? Because they're in the physical presence of this absolutely holy being. And all they can say is, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Heaven and the whole earth is full of His glory. Now stop there a second. I've read visions of people that went into heaven and they told, actually in the book of Revelation, where, where they'll, they'll walk along and take a few steps and suddenly God's glory shines and they just fall on their face. If Jesus appeared right now here, none of you would stay sitting. And you wouldn't get on your knees because we'd say so. You couldn't stand. Not because you're forced to. The power of His holiness. Because we're so unholy, as holy as we may think we are. The whole earth is full of His glory. Verse 4. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of Him who cried out. His voice is so powerful, so authoritative, it shook the doorposts of heaven. And the house was filled with his smoke, because they had smoke machines in heaven, see? They got these smoke machines that many churches have. They got them pumping it out in heaven. No, the real smoke is the, is the fragrance, the presence of God, the tangible presence of God. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. Verse 5. And what's his reaction when he sees the holiness of God? This is a good holy man. Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Why? Because my eyes have seen the Lord of hosts. So he knew immediately where he was by looking at absolute holiness. At absolute holiness. Exodus 33. This is the second person that sees God face to face, or sees God. Now, in this background here, Moses has been up on the mountain several times. I think this is the second time up there. And God's giving him instructions. And Moses just pled... So Moses spent 40 days. I think he does it three times. 40 days in the physical presence of God. And he ate no food. And he, he didn't go on a fast. He just never thought about food. And he drank nothing, no water. Now you can go 40 days without eating, but you can't go 40 days without drinking fluid. Unless you're in the physical presence of absolute life, God's physical presence sustained His life. You cannot die in the physical presence of God because He is absolute life. 
And so Moses is now uh, uh, is inspired, and he, he's saying, God, don't, don't let, uh, I've experienced your presence. I don't want to go anywhere without your presence. Oh, if that, were, if that were just our heart. And that's going to be our heart as a church. I don't want to go anywhere without your presence. Because he goes on to say, that's what distinguishes us from the rest of the world, is that you're with us. Your presence is here. But then he gets, he gets greedy in a good sense. He wants more of God. So now having, understand, God when he, God in the Old Testament, even the New, when He appears, He doesn't appear in all His glory. He appears in different forms because we can't handle that. So He came down on Mount Sinai in smoke. He came down on Mount Sinai in thunder and lightnings. But He's not standing in front of Moses in thunder and lightnings because Moses wouldn't be able to exist that way. So He's in front of more Moses in a different form. But now Moses wants to know more. He wants to see His glory. He wants to see. He said, I'm this close to you. I want to see you. Show me your glory. What the glory is, is that's His essence. All the other things are attributes. But this is the essence of, what, of who God is. The, Bible, the word literally means His weightiness, His substance. Please, show me your glory. And God said to him, I will make all of my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and have compassion, whom I have compassion. Verse 20. But he said to me, he said, but you can't see my face, because his glory comes out of his face. Revelation says at the end, when the new heaven, new earth has been established, and, and, and we're going to be in the new Jerusalem, it's lit up. There's no candles there. There's no flashlights. There's no light bulbs. It's lit up by the face of God. The glory that's coming from His face. Because you can't see my face and live. We gotta, we've got to move on. This is the God that loves you. He's holy. Now His problem is, as a holy God, how could He love such unholiness as us, as we are. How could He love us? Well, let's look at the word loved. So go back to John 3.16. For God so loved. This is the foreign type of love we're talking about. It's not the kind of love that the world understands. This is why John writes and says, they're not going to recognize you because you're of Him. They don't recognize this kind of love. This kind of love, the world doesn't understand. It's a foreign language to them. It's a foreign way of reacting. You start walking in this kind of love and people think there's something wrong with you. How come you don't strike back? You know what they did to you? They used to accuse Brother Hagen because he walked in this kind of love with people that, that falsely accused him, wrote nasty books about him, there was one conference where they brought together pastors of churches of over a th- thousand people. And, and back then that wasn't very many. And he went to the meeting and sat in the back. And half the meeting was talking about him and how he started a cult and all these bad things about him. And at one point he stands up and comes forward. And he said, he said most of you that say these things have never met me and have never had a chance. I'm here for you to ask me any question you'd like to ask me. And they did. And he just walked in love towards them. He just loved them back. But he didn't just start that then. He did that his whole walk with the Lord. And to the point that he would say, because people would say things against him and other pastors would say, well, how come you don't defend yourself? And they thought he was weak. 
because they were thinking in the terms of this nation, of this country, of this realm, and he was walking in a language and a custom of another realm, the realm of his father. So this kind of love doesn't see what the world's love, what the world's love see. Let's go to very famous verses, First Corinthians thirteen. Paul, this doesn't define love, but he gives us an example of how this kind of love thinks. This love that's from this foreign country suffers long and still is kind, even though it's suffering. This love does not envy. This is what the thinking of this love in this foreign country is like. This love does not parade itself, and this love is not puffed up. Verse 5. This love does not behave rudely, This love does not seek its own. This love, this is a good one, is not provoked. Jesus stood there while they spat in his face, plucked at his beard, put a crown of thorns at his head, and mocked him as a king. And it could not, you could not provoke him because he wasn't operating in the, in the customs and the language and the methods of this world he was a representative of the love from another kingdom. This love thinks no evil. No evil. Thinks no evil. Even though there's evil all around. It does not rejoice in iniquity. It doesn't rejoice when somebody gets what they're due. It doesn't rejoice when, when people we, somebody's caught in sin and falls. It doesn't rejoice in that. But it rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. This is the kind of love that loves you. It believes all things, the best about you. It hopes all things. It endures all things. This is that foreign love from a foreign country. And we understand that's heaven. Okay. The world's love is based on the intrinsic value of an object or a person or what they can do for you. I love you because of what you can do for me. This kind of love is not based on that at all. It's based on the nature of the person who's giving that love. They can't help it. All right, so for God, love... But there's a word we skipped. Go back. For God, so loved. That little two-letter word changes this verse completely. It changes it from being a fact, a theological fact. Because without that little word so in there, the verse says, God loved the world and gave His only begotten Son. But the word so changes this into what God's saying. He's not telling us a theological fact. He wants to communicate to us how much He loves you and with what kind of love He loves you. The word so is a Greek word that means in a manner of. So it's not just how much He loves you, it's what kind of love with which He loves you. It's John, 1 John 3, 1, the one we just said. All right, so we're going to move, move along. God so loved the world, and here's the... See, but love doesn't sit still. Love is not an emotion. I'm going to say that one again. Love is not an emotion. It's an act of your will. 
Emotions will follow it. That changed my life when I saw that. I can't have time to get into that. For God so loved the world that He did something. What is it He did? He gave. I've heard Robert Morris do a survey in a, in a, in a remember him, we did his series on the blessed life. He said, what do you think the most important, if you have one word in the Bible, what's the most important word in the Bible? And he said, most pastors say love. He said, well, it's hard to argue with that, but I believe the most important word in the Bible is gave. Because he could have loved us from heaven. He could have looked down at all of us and said, boy, do I feel for you. Oh my, you have messed up and I, I love you. I, I'm not angry at you. I love you so much. I just really hope it's going to work out for you. I just really, I really love you. This is the way most of us love. But see, this foreign type of love can't do that. This foreign type of love can't sit there and say, I love you and not do something for you. For God so loved the world that He gave. Now think of it. He initiated this. His giving is not in response to something we did. He gave. Do you realize He gave knowing that the majority of people won't receive it and yet He still gave it. With all His foreknowledge, He should have said, you know, well, these guys are going to get it, but you guys won't accept it, so I won't give them to you, but I'll give them to you. No, He gave freely because it's His nature. I read another thing, but I'm just, oh, oh Lord, help me. There's some things God does because it's His nature. And because it's His nature, He can't change it. He can't not do it. It's His nature. His nature is to love. He can't not do it. Because it's His nature, this kind of love. I've got to move on. That He gave. He initiated it. It's not out of obligation. It reveals His heart. Uh, we don't have time to go there, but First John 4, it's in the notes. Eight, he talks about, you know, we, we, here is love. Not that we loved Him first, but that He loved us. Our love for Him is merely a response to His love for us. So we, but see, this is our, our, our legalistic thinking. Well, if I don't do these for God, He's not going to love me. You can't do it because, unless He loved you. You can do it because He's already loved you. Everything comes from Him. So go back to John 3.16. What is it He gave? What did He give? Some of His time? What did He give? He, he, he so loved us that He gave something. And, and what was it He gave because He so loved us? His only begotten Son. So I spent time looking and meditating on what's only begotten mean? Well, the word actually means unique, only one. And I began, well, wait a minute, we're, we're, I'm a son of God, but, I'm, I'm, and, 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 but we're adopted. He's born out of God. And, and this is so important. Our sonship, and that includes you ladies too, our sonship it's only because we're in the only begotten Son. 
So we could not become a son of God unless He'd given the only begotten Son. Now in Romans, Paul talks about the firstborn among many brethren. But we're brethren, but He came out of the Father. Let's go to John chapter 1. Let me make sure I'm not getting too far ahead of myself here. It speaks of His unique sonship, which came directly from the Father before anything else existed. Our sonship only comes through this Son. And it speaks of the special, close, and intimate relationship. So when John 3.16 talks about God gave His only begotten Son, it's talking about God gave to us the most precious thing He had. And the only terms we can grasp that with, again, we have to use human terms for things that are so far beyond human experiences, is a son. Is a son. His only begotten son. It's not the only son, but He's the only one begotten of Him. The most precious thing to God. Now we're talking about what manner of love the Father's bestowed upon us. For God so loved the world. We talked about that a few weeks ago. He didn't so love the church. He didn't so love the good doobies who would come and follow Him. He loved the most reprobate person that'll ever that'll go that'll split hell wide open. He gave His Son for them also. What matter of love is this? It's foreign to my thinking. It's foreign to the ways that we've been trained in. But it's the character and nature of this God who gave. This is a window into the kind of love we're talking about. What He gave, that He gave and what He gave is the window. This is what this verse is all about. This is a window into God's heart. This is a window into God's nature. We can't see in there, but we can, we can extrapolate from what He did, what His heart is. The whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's go to Philippians chapter 3. Let's see what He did. We've talked about this before. So we're, 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 this is Christmas time. So we're talking today about the gift, the first half of the gift which is what God gave this gift. Next week we'll talk about, assuming I finish all of this, we'll talk about what He did with that gift. That gift came to die for you and me. Just giving the gift wasn't enough. The gift was given with a purpose. Uh, let's go down to... Um, keep moving. Verse 6, verse 7... Oh, oh, you know what? It should be chapter 2. I did it again. Philippians 2, verse 5. I'm sorry. Have this mind in you which also was in Christ Jesus, who though, who thought it was being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. We talked about that several weeks ago. But he made himself of no reputation. He emptied himself of all of His divine attributes. He emptied Himself of His power, of His knowledge. Jesus did not do His miracles because He was the second person of the Godhead. He gave that all up. He gave up His glory. I don't have time to go through all the verses to show it to you. But when He comes to the end of His earthly ministry, He asks God to restore to Him what He gave up. Made Himself of no reputation. 
was a decision he made. Now we're talking about the love of Christ for us, the second person that God had. Became, took the form, he made himself, he emptied himself, but he didn't empty himself, he, to take the form of a bond servant. He didn't come as the second person of the Godhead to be honored and worshipped as the creator of the universe. But he humbled himself. Let's go over now to, to um, 1 John, or to, to, to Gospel of John, chapter 1. I'm, I'm having to skip some things because of time. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we're looking now at heaven before He came to the earth, at who this is that the Father sent, who this only begotten Son is. In the beginning was the Word. That's the Greek word logos, which means the full expression of something. So. In the beginning you had God the Father, the Creator, but you also had in Him, and don't try to explain the Trinity or understand it, just do the best you can. Part of Him was an expression of Himself. The word there, logos, for word, means the full expression of someone. It's His nature. Well, we use that term. You know, they're a chip off the old block. Sometimes people when you're around will say, well, you know, trying to figure out who our, my son Chris looks like. Does he look like mom or me? I hope he looks more like her than me. But, you know, we try to figure out who, the, who that child looks like. What do they resemble? You find out, you know, you find in your own life. You know, you, you, I found myself saying things my mother used to say that I swore I'd never say. I'll never say that. And the same words come out of my attitudes come out. Why? Because we, we're born out of them. Our parents, our physical bodies, born out of them. So there's a natural resemblance. Well, he was born out of God the Father, the Creator, and he has a he is the full expression. In fact, Hebrews 11, 1, one verse three says he's the exact representation of his nature. He is the outshining of his glory, and he laid that all aside to become a bondservant. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Keep going, because we get just a few more minutes. He was in the beginning with God when everything was created. All things were made through Him. This is the Christ. All, and without Him, nothing was made that was made. This is the one who left all that to come here out of love for you. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. It's what lit us up. It gave us life. All life came from the Father through Him. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. That means overcome it. Go to verse 9. This was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world... And the world was made through him, but the world didn't know him. you imagine that? Those men that beat him, the men that nailed him to a cross, he made them. He made the cross. Now, he didn't fashion it, but the wood, the trees came from him. The nails came from him. And the world did not know him. He came unto his own, that's Israel, and they did not receive him. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in His name. Keep going. Who were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. This is what I want to get to. And the Word, the one we're just talking about, the one we've been talking about, became flesh. 
He didn't just become flesh. He didn't just come and appear on mountains in all his fleshly glory. He was conceived in a teenager's womb. She had to carry him for nine months, just the way your mother had to carry you. He came into this world through the same process that every other human being has come into this world. He didn't skip anything. He, because of who he is, he didn't take any advantages. And where was he born? He came forth through the birth canal, just like you did, and he was born in a stable. And the first place he was laid outside of his mother's womb was a feeding trough. God, who created the universe, the second person of the God, the Word, became flesh. Behold, what manner of love is this that we should be called children of God. And he did all of that not to prove anything about himself. But he did that. And this is just the beginning of what he did. This is just his entrance into it. And he did this so that he could go through the process we'll talk about next week. That he could die. That he could be humiliated. That he could be raised from the dead to end up back where he started. Why would he do that? Because he's not just back where he started, because now he's made it possible for you and me to also be adopted into this family and as a child of God. That's the manner of love that God has bestowed upon us. And it's foreign to this world's thinking. But it's the love that's been shed abroad in our heart for one another and for this lost and dying world. And we're not walking in it anywhere near the way we're called to because we really haven't seen and experienced that love for us. So as we walk through the rest of this Christmas season and you finish with your plans for packages and giving and festivities and all the stuff that you may be going through or maybe you're going through a difficult time this is a difficult time for you where there are painful memories because there's lost ones. Or maybe just Christmas wasn't a joyful time for you. Maybe the memories of Christmas's past is not good. Or maybe the anticipation of this Christmas. Whatever it is. Let's focus our eyes. Let's focus our eyes on the one who made this all possible. The one who gave to us out of this manner of love. Let's meditate as we did this morning. That's all we did this morning is meditate on a few verses. Meditate on John 3.16. Go through. You take the notes. Go through it. God, God, this holy God loved me enough that He gave His holy Son's life in my place that I might be a child of the living God and live with Him forever. What kind of love is this, Father? What kind of love is this? Help me to grasp this love and experience this kind of love. This is what Christmas is all about. It's being grateful for and receiving the love that God has for us, and out of that, 
as Anita was sharing earlier so eloquently, you can't help but give it. Let's pray. Father, what kind of love is this? You have placed us in this dark world where human love that's been so exalted is failing and falling apart all around us. And the rank selfishness is manifesting itself even violently in our world today. And you have placed us here as a light into this dark world. It's a light of your love. And Father, we forget it so often. And we adopt causes and and principles and ideals that we try to force on the world. And you just came to love the world. You said in the next verse, you didn't send your son to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Father, my prayer for every one of us today, including me, is that this Christmas season, we would come to experience in our relationship with you and with one another this foreign, strange, challenging, but wonderful manner of love that you have shown towards us. Fill us with your Spirit, Father, because that love has been poured out in us by your Holy Spirit. Strengthen us with your Spirit in our inner man that Christ may be able to dwell in us and through us and that being rooted and grounded in this kind of love, we may come to know together with one another and all the saints the breadth and length and height and depth and to know by experience the love of Christ that passes all natural understanding, that we may be filled up with all of your fullness. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we can ask or think, according to the power, the power of that love that works in us, may glory be to the church. In Christ's name, amen. Before we close the service, I want to give this opportunity to anybody that may be here. You've never received this Christ. Maybe you've been raised in church as I was. Maybe you know and you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That's why we have Christmas. And Jesus came and died on what we celebrate as Easter and was raised from the dead. And he loved the world and we know all that. But you've never...